Morning, everyone. Is it going to rain today? It's supposed to. Huh? Is it that rain we were supposed to get uh, two two weeks ago? <laughs> and they say I'm late. <laughs> okay, I guess I think we are up to page uh, nineteen around there. So now uh, Rinpoche, the one who helped translate this text, uh, 
is going through somewhat the curriculum that the monks go through uh, at Sera. Not at Sera, not only at Sera, but you know, in all the Galupa monasteries, specifically uh, the what you might call the university Galupa monasteries. Not all Galupa monasteries, not all monasteries necessarily go through some sort of scholastic uh, uh, curriculum. Some monasteries are very small, and all they do there is just prayers and be like uh, some sort of a temple, uh, uh, like a temple for, for a particular community or something like that. But the monasteries that do have a, a scholastic curriculum, this is the curriculum that they follow. And the different monasteries would follow those curriculums according to their own uh, according to their own likings. Okay. Not every monastery will follow the same curriculum in the exact order. Okay. Some places they spent, might spend more years studying one topic than another monastery, for example. Okay. Uh, the last thing we, uh, we read, uh, we read how also uh, most of the texts that the uh, that were studied in the Gilupa are uh, texts that were uh, written by Jason Kappa. And either there were texts that were directly... The, the interesting thing about Buddhism in, I guess not only... I'm not sure how it is in other places, but uh, uh, as far as the relationship to, to text is concerned. Uh, you have within the uh, uh, Tibetan uh, Buddhist system, you have the what you might call the the the, the, the texts which are transcriptions of the words of the Buddha themselves, and you have texts which are the commentaries on those texts, but but the commentaries written by direct disciples of the Buddha. Or, or Indian masters before Buddhism arrived in Tibet. And that's called, that's really what you might call the canon, the, the, Buddhist, the Tibetan Buddhist canon. And within that, you will, uh, not every single text that existed in Sanskrit or Pali made it to Tibet. Some, the, the, there may have been some texts here and there that didn't make it to, to Tibet. So these were not translated into Tibetan. Uh, you and you have that. So the Chinese canon, for example, has more will have more text within it than within the Tibetan, because uh, the, the the Chinese as a society they had the, they had a earlier encounter with Buddhism, and they had uh, uh, they did uh, they were doing translating text into Chinese earlier than the Tibetans were translating text into Tibetan. So they may have more text in, uh, in, in, the, in the Chinese, with, among Chinese, uh, Chinese Buddhists. But the, in the monasteries, although you have all these, t these texts, uh, these texts are, as you can see, they're uh, Decorations. <laughs> well, they're not decorations, but well, 
that's, that's where they end up. They, they just stay on some altar and they remain there. Uh, it's not that there's a copy of them somewhere where somebody uh, uh, goes into and study and read. What Buddhists really study and read uh, are commentaries on those, on those texts. So Jason Kappa's writings are commentaries on, on, the, on the earlier Tibetans, and, early, and these Tibetans were commenting on the, on, the, on the Sanskrit and Indian scholars, and Indian scholars were commenting on earlier Sanskrit uh, Indian scholars, and they were commenting eventually on the, the words of the Buddha. So these texts that you see are common, it's like uh, the Buddha spoke, uh, later on, uh, after way, hundreds of years after the Buddha passed away, it was eventually actually uh, written down. And after some time, this was the text that people were reading and passing around and trying to memorize. And to some of them were the understanding of it were not written down, but m more kept uh, in oral tradition then these oral traditions of understanding what was written started to be written down. So these became the commentaries on the words of the Buddha. And then these commentaries later had to be commented upon because uh, they, they were not, so some things were not understood, something had to be uh, translated orally. So these became, uh, became commentaries, written commentaries on those. So you have layers and layers and layers and layers of commentary. And then the text that we are reading now are like the top layer of commentary, commenting on, on uh, eventually on the Buddha's teachings. The what you, the the actual words of the Buddha that people are still reading now, are, for example, the Perfection of Wisdom, the Hot Sutra. That's an actual sutra, a word of the Buddha, an actual uh, account that happened at the time of the Buddha. So uh, prayers like that are really the prayers that people are really reading directly. But we books are mostly commentaries. So in the monastery, every monastery uh, in Tibet, you have uh, you will not find exactly the same the same text. You will find perhaps uh, uh, some Indian texts that are uh, that all the monasteries are studying. Like all the monasteries are, for example, are studying Nagarjuna's text. But they don't necessarily go directly into Nakajuna's text. They are reading their monastery's interpretation of Nagarjuna's text. So most of uh, a lot of the texts, like uh, path, like we read, for example, uh, let's say eight, page eighteen, we say for his next course, twelve years on what we call the perfection of wisdom. So the perfection of wisdom goes back to the, the Prajnaparamita, the Perfection of Wisdom text that the Buddha spoke. And years and centuries of commentating on that, and the, the commentary that is considered to be the, the, the uh, authoritative commentary on the Perfection of Wisdom is the one written, uh, the commentary is written by Nagarjuna. And Tibetans have there are various interpretations, even though they all say Nagarjuna is the best commentator on the perfection of wisdom, but they have different understanding of what Nagarjuna said. So the Gelugpas have a different interpretation from the Nyingmas and so on and so forth. 
Uh, and you see here, our monk will, use, will be using the Golden Rosary, a commentary composed by the Master at Kyushu and Dewa Chen. So the Master is referring to his Jesongkapa. Jesongkapa's understanding, so there were in, uh, uh, Tibetan understanding, Tibetan uh, writings, Tibetan commenting on Nagarjuna's texts. And Jesongkapa read them, and then Jesongkapa uh, disagreed with some, certain interpretations of it, and then he came up with his own interpretation. And that's why he came up with the Golden Rosary. And his interpretation was, and in all these Tibetan, in, uh, various Tibetan interpretations, uh, ways of basically saying, this is, I, this is what I think is what Nagarjuna meant. When, when, when he was commenting on the, on the perfection of wisdom, on the, on the Buddha's uh, perfection of wisdom. Uh, the Golden Rosary, I'm not sure if uh, perhaps uh, those who are, be remember the different Geshe degrees, right? And the highest one is the Alaramba Geshe. Maybe Alaramba Geshe may actually get to read the Golden Rosary. The, the, those who are uh, are not necessarily going for the Lampa Geshe, what they are actually we get to read or study or commentaries on the Golden Rosary. <laughs> okay. And you have uh, the different monasteries within the Gelupas. You would think that there's one textbook that goes out to all of them, right? That goes from, uh, 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 remember, the, the one who is the head, the real head of the Gelupas is the, what you call the Gundam Chipa. The Gundam Tripa is a, is a uh, office where the person is supposed to be like the representative of Jesongkapa. So within the Gelupa system, they don't go look for the reincarnation of the founder. They go, look, they, among themselves, they, have a, uh, they, they appoint a, a someone they consider to be a great scholar who becomes the, the representative of Jesongkapa. But... Uh, Buddhists in general are very independent people. Even though there is someone called the head of such and such, if they disagree with that person, they will disagree out loud. And even His, even His Holiness the Dalai Lama doesn't have complete control over uh, the, uh, the Tibetans. They respect them very much and they understand that if he says something, he says it out of his understanding, he says, out of a true sense of uh, holding the welfare and the regard of others in mind. But if they say something that they disagree with, they will tell them, I disagree with you. They will not, uh, Buddhism allows them to, be, to disagree with them. Even if the Buddha said something that you disagree with, as a Buddhist, you can say, sorry Buddha, I disagree with you. Okay? So the gun and tripa is really just what you might call, uh, what you call that thing? Uh, or someone who is in power but doesn't really do much. Figurehead. A figurehead. It's really a, a more of a figurehead. Sometimes you will say certain things and then, uh, okay, this is the text that we will study now or this is the translation that we will study. And people will look at it and say, okay, we agree. And they'll take it up. But different monasteries have their own, what, what are called monastic textbooks. So their yeah. own interpretation of the interpretation of Jesongkapa's text, which is a commentary <laughs> of a commentary going all the way back to somehow switching to the Buddha.
Yes. If uh, say somebody doesn't agree with, will they switch monasteries? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, they're going to Sarah. Well, then then you would have you know uh, for every monk there would be a monastery. <laughs> Oh, uh, I mean, they agree for the most part on the major, on, on, on uh, what you might call the general uh, uh, topics, the general parts. But there, are, there might be some minor, uh, uh, minor disagreements, and that they consider to be important. For, uh, like this monastery has a minor disagreement with that commentary, and and because of that, so this monastery, this monastery studies this particular text. It's minor. Something called Tanye. Tanye is a, uh, uh, what do you call that? Mm. Mm, it's like a, a convention. Convent, uh, in the realm of of uh, perception, how important is how important is uh, the convention, the conventional, and the idea of a valid conventional, for example, that is something. Uh, actually, that is the main uh, disagreement that other Buddhist sect have with the. With uh, with the Galupas, I mean, within all the different uh, monasteries, all the different sects, they will use the word conventional, but they will have a slight agreement as to what exactly is the conventional, and they will all have the word valid, but they will have different understanding of what the word valid means, something like that. and the and even and the the beauty the reason I stopped at the golden whoa, what happened? Yeah, it could have been. Uh, is that the is that the the switch there? The which color thing? Yeah, I mean. This is preparation for the rain, maybe. <laughs> Since the rain is going to cause a power outage, let's, let's make it happen now. <laughs> is that the alarm? Maybe it's the alarm telling us that... Uh, if, if you didn't notice the light going off... <laughs> As I was saying, the reason that we start at the Golden Rosary is because uh, the Golden Rosary was written by Jason Kappa when he was very young, and he uh, and that was his commenting on the perfection of wisdom. Uh, in there, he didn't quite. Uh, it's not that the entire Golden Rosary is fault is is faulty, but there is one little thing that he uh, one little under, one 
minor understanding that is very uh, crucial to the Gelupas that he presented there. At that time, it wasn't his. It wasn't his uh, uh, full understanding. Okay, and even Gelupas will tell you the Golden Rosary, even though it's beautiful to study. But when you get to this particular percept, uh, uh, part of it, that's not that 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 was not Jason Kappa's full understanding. So that is sort of like brushed out. Okay, but it's kept there just sort of sort of keep give the others a sense of how someone grows in their understanding in uh, in, in Buddhism. Uh, when he reaches the special topics part of the course, he may well commit to memory the entire 230 pages of Lord Tsongkhapa's Essence of Eloquence on certain tenets of the great Buddhist schools. It's interesting how there's a lot of memorization that goes on, especially those who, when, when someone is on the track to get their Dharampa Geshe's, part of their daily uh, uh, routine is to memorize pages and pages of, of, of text. And there will be, and the, the reason that they have to memorize pages and pages of text, and they have to, uh, so at night before they go to sleep or in the morning when they wake up, they have to recall those texts from memory and then add to it. Okay. Uh, by the time the, uh, the, the, examine, the exam comes, uh, the person who's going to be examining them on, on their on their uh, what they've memorized may pick anything from any point. So you're supposed to have it memorized and be able to pick up wherever someone uh, 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 starts off. Okay. And of course, after after they get their Lalom Pageshe, they stop this, and then slowly and slowly they, they start forgetting. <laughs> So uh, the only uh, person I know who actually kept everything that he memorized up to the end was my teacher. He spent uh, every day for the rest of his life, he kept recalling everything that he had memorized. Yeah. And uh, that's, why, that's how he was able to dazzle and, and make people, uh, what do you call it? Make people's jaw drop. Jaw dropped when he went to the monastery at the ripe age of, I don't know, he was in his 80s or late 70s, and he sat on the throne. He was invited there to give a little talk, like, uh, "How are you? Everybody, be nice." Instead, he kept started reciting things that little kids were supposed to have memorized. Anybody? How did you remember that? <laughs> okay. So, between courses, the young monk will often have opportunities to attend discourses delivered by visiting lamas perhaps by the Dalai Lama himself. The present is the 14th of this line, and we might expect the first was another of Lord Tsongkhapa's direct disciple. So the very first, so the Dalai Lama is supposed to be uh, one of, uh, usually uh, you see Desongkhapa, there had better be a Desongkhapa here, but this is not a Papa Gilupa. Oh, right there. All yeah. these, all those. <laughs> that wall. That's supposed to be uh, different, uh, important things that happen in Jason Kappa's life depiction. Except for that uh, green one. That's not a, a, an emanation of Jason Kappa. <laughs> that's green Tara. Okay. Usually, when they show you an uh, image of Jason Kappa, they're supposed to be like two. Uh, 
two people next to him. Okay. So that's supposed to be his two main disciples, Gelsab J and Kedub J. Okay. And Gelsab J is the one who is now the who's supposed to be the who became the Dalai Lama. So uh, after Gelsab J and Kedub J passed away, and uh, somebody. Uh, uh, the the Gyalsabje's reincarnation was was recognized, okay, as being Gyalsabje, and he some he became the Dairama, the Dairama. Uh, so the popular subjects for these public discourses are the greater steps of the path, it's called the Lamrim by Tsongkhapa, the Bodhisattva's life. Uh, Gyalsabje's door for Bodhisattvas is likely to be the commentary used. Or the three principal paths, our present text, again by Lord Tsongkhapa. The monk student's next course will be the very difficult middle way philosophy of the higher school of Buddhism. He will be using Lord Tsongkhapa's great commentary for understanding the early Indian commentaries. If he goes deeper, the monk might read Eye Opener, the great exposition on emptiness by Kedubje, again a direct disciple of Lord Tsongkhapa. Everywhere the young scholar goes, he is surrounded by the master's influence. The very monastery in which he walks has been founded either by Lord Tsongkhapa or one of his direct disciples. Ganden, okay, now we're getting to the monasteries of the Gelupas. Ganden in 1409 by the Lord himself. Jepung in 1416 by Jamyang Choje Tashi Pelden. And Sera in 1419 by Jam Jamchen Chuje Shakya Yeshe. And these were founded, these these are the these are these are the monasteries that are called the the three seats. Okay. Ganden, Jepung, and Sera. And these were founded at the time of Jason Kappa was was still alive. And each of them had a just a different view, or just location? Yeah, they have uh, a, slight a slight different view. Yeah, uh, and also different locations. The very robes that the monks wears were in part designed by Lord Tsongkhapa. I'm sure a lot of people wanted to know that the answer to that question. Uh, here's the answer. <laughs> so. When he sits down on his, in his room the med to meditate, he is likely to start off with a mental picture of the master as taught in the popular Lama practice manual. When he fingers his beads, he may well be counting miktemans, the Tibetan equivalent of Hail Marys in supplication to Lord Tsongkhapa. So that sort of tells you, so this is more of a, uh, a specific of a general. Okay, let me explain it. In every monastery you go to, this is what this is what will be happening. The founder of that the founder of that monastery will be honored. The founder founder of that sect will be uh, like, for example, if it's uh, with uh, the Nyingmas, the the supplication will be to uh, uh, Padmasambhava. And the mantra that they will be reciting will be the mantra related to Padmasambhava. Okay. And, they were, and every, every single uh, monastery, every single sect ha 
do, uh, they all do Lama practice. But the figure of that Lama is the Lama, is the teacher who founded that particular sect. Okay? So you will not find, uh, you will not find in the, in the Nyingma uh, centers that they are doing miktemas. Okay? They will not be, uh, they will not be praying, doing prayers to Jason Kappa. So, and the monk will eventually take his geshe examinations at the great Mernlam festival, a national three-week holiday. Wow. I thought it was two weeks. It's actually three weeks. Three-week holiday devoted to spiritual activities and instituted by Lord Tsongkhapa in 1408. And uh, this is, interestingly enough, uh, one of the very few uh, Buddhist a- uh, activities that are shared in common by all the different, uh, different sect, even though it was something that was created by uh, a particular founder. So it was Jason Kappa who founded this called the Moonland Festival, but all the different Buddhist sect. Oh, hello, please. <laughs> How are you? All the different Buddhist sect. Hello. <laughs> all the different Buddhist sect, uh, of course, uh, celebrate. It's not just the Gelupas, you know, out in the street and having a big celebration, and all the other sect are sitting in their homes saying, you know, brewing. Mm. Okay. I wish I was a Gelupa at that time. So if he is Mongolian, he will probably count his birthday from the great festival of lights on the 25th of the 10th Asian month, a day devoted to the memory of Lord Tsongkhapa. Well, uh, yes and no. <laughs> uh, the festival of lights on the 25th of the 10th Asian month is, uh, interestingly enough, uh, the day that they celebrate Jesongkapa's day. And... Uh, it corresponds with other kinds of stuff. Right. It's just that with the, the Gelukpas happen to use it uh, to celebrate Jason Kappa's birthday. Okay, if he gets that far, our monk's next course covers the well, uh, covers what we call the treasure of knowledge. His basic commentary will, that will be that of the first, first Dalai Lama, Lord Tsongkhapa's student. By now, the monk is a master logician and can use the Gyawong treasure, a dialectic exposition composed by Gyawong Tinle Namgyal about a hundred years ago. This author is famous too for writing the great biography of Lord Tsongkhapa. Throughout his uh, coursework, the student attends daily debate sessions. And that's the thing that has become uh, almost like a, a spectacle now, uh, where, you know, you have the the monks from the 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 tantric monasteries going around the world making tours and doing chant and, and doing chantings. They started out started out just doing chantings, and then they added they add to it. Now they go around doing building uh, mandalas, the Sen mandalas, and these are usually people. At first, it was people from the from the tantric monasteries, because that's where you actually learn these arts. You learn, you learn these kind of deep uh, throat ch- chanting, this uh, man- sen mandala making, paintings, all these, all the arts, uh, you are t- they are taught in the tantric monasteries. And they started going out now 
uh, on tours to raise money, they would go out and do chantings, and then now they're adding uh, mand- Sen Mandala making, and then they're adding other kind of stuff to it. And since this was very popular way of a uh, uh, very popular and also successful way for the tantric monasteries to raise money, so now almost every monastery now sends a group of people to do chanting and to do some Dilsen Manalas as a way of, of raising money. Okay. And uh, and now also they're adding one of the things that they're adding to it is a debate, uh, a mock, uh, what you might call a mock debate, because it seems to be like a, a spectacular things to watch. Even you have no idea what they're saying, but just looking at what looking at the expressions and the energy that they put into it, it's a nice thing to watch. So uh, through, uh, throughout his course, the, the, the student daily attends daily debate session. He goes to an open park at, at the monastery and must defend his understanding of the day's lesson, quoting the text from memory since no books may be brought along. Here, he is again following the example of the monk from Tsongkha, who traveled to, uh, to uh, central Tibet as a teenager and distinguished himself in a great many public debates at the monasteries of Dewachan, Sakyas, Sangden, Gaorong, Dramaring, A, Nyering, and others. If he passes his Geshe examination with honors, the monk will be eligible to attend one of the two tantric colleges where he will learn the secret teachings of Buddhism. One of his principal textbooks will be The Greater Steps of the Secret Path by Lord Tsongkhapa himself. So if, if you're taking notes, if you wanted to know uh, what are the texts, what are the texts that um, uh, a typical uh, monk studies, so th- you've been given a list so far. Okay. By Lord Sangha by himself. And a lot of these texts uh, have already been translated into English. Okay. The Greatest Steps of the Secret Path has been translated into by uh, Jeffrey Hopkins, and and there's a, a newer translation of it that, that just came out recently. By Lord Tsongkhapa himself, he may use one of the many detailed treatises of Kedu J, another of the master's illustrious students. The collected writings of Lord Tsongkhapa and his two major disciples are usually printed together under the title Collected Works of the Father and His Sons. They run no less than 38 large volumes containing some 300 different treatises on every subject of Buddhist philosophy. And you would think that these 38 large volumes would be enough books for the, for the Galupas. No, it's not enough. Uh, because you have now texts collected writings of Pabon Karimpoche, which are commentary, commentaries on these texts. And you have collected writings of Chujon Rinpoche, which are commentaries on Pabon Karimpoche's text, which are commentaries on the Tsongkhapa's text, which are commentaries on the Indian text, which are commentaries on the Buddha's words. <laughs> are you lost? Good. <laughs> well, before we get too lost in picking up texts and stuff, how do we know whose translation is... Oh, you mean uh, the yeah, English, I mean, English, English translations? The English translation, yeah, because there's this and there's 50 other books and Snowline or some other publisher. Yeah. That well, uh, I would say uh, 
the, the translators who are alive, like those who are students of Jeffrey Hopkins, for example. Uh, uh, Jeffrey Hopkins has come up with a lot of translations, and his translations are v very uh, well done. Perhaps somebody like uh, Art Engel, for example, who's also a great translator, may disagree with some minor points of, Je of Jeffrey Hopkins' translation, but in general, all the, all, all, all the translations are, uh, are good. So, and, and any of the students of, Jason, of Jeffrey Hopkins, like, like uh, Cap Cabezon, uh, Anne Klein, these are students of Jeffrey Hopkins, and they, they do uh, good jobs in translating. And you have uh, people who, who are not necessarily like uh, uh, connected with the school, like Art Engel, who also has good translations. Yeah. Uh, and you don't have to worry, the collected works of the father and his son, not everything has been translated. Okay. <laughs> uh, Lord Tsongkhapa's composition is marked by extensive references to the early classics of Buddhism a strict use of rules of logic and precise definitions, a massive vocabulary of Tibetan which will probably never be equaled, a flawless observance of the rules of classical grammar, and a sensitive need, sensitivity to the needs of students of every level from beginning to advance. This last point is why the present work, The Three Principal Paths, has been so popular in Tibet over the centuries. Over the, over the centuries. As the commentary here describes, Lord Tsongkhapa has managed to pack the entire teachings of Buddhism into a mere 14 verses. We believe that if the work is studied with a pure heart and the right effort, it can actually lead one to enlightenment. Did you just hear what I just... <laughs> so, if somehow... Every book in the, on the planet on Buddhism somehow got wiped out, and this was the only one that was left. Yeah, then you can reconstruct Buddhism with just this text. You can reach enlightenment with just this text. That's what it's saying. As a close. Uh, as its closing lines reveal, the texts of the three principal paths were written by Lord Tsongkhapa for a student of his by the name of Ngawang Dragpa, whom we call now as Tsako Wambo, the friar from Tsako district. Ngawang Dragpa was not one of Lord Tsongkhapa's most famous students, although a wonderful drawing of him does appear in the group of close disciples clustered around the master in the central painting of Tsongkha Jechu, a traditional rendering of the life of Tsongkhapa. That's the painting that we're referring to. Uh, a traditional rendering of the life of Lord Tsongkhapa in a standard set of 15 scroll paintings. Okay. Of course, these are not the actual... <laughs> these are pictures of, the, of it. <laughs> Surprisingly, one of, our, one of the best sources we have for information about Ngaon Dragpa is the biography of Pabunka Rinpoche, the author of our commentary here. In the first volume of the work, we come across a captivating uh, exchange between 
the Rinpoche and his mother, who has shown up at Sara Monastery and is dismayed by the austerity of the life there. She wonders out loud how things might have been if the world had recognized the boy for what he, for what he was, the reincarnation of the great Changya, who had served as personal spiritual advisor to the Emperor of China some 200 years before, and whose luxurious quarters still waited near the palace of, in Peking for the next reincarnation. But Pabonka Rinpoche says to her, okay, so this is a nice little exchange between Pabonka Rinpoche and, her, and his mother. So Pabonka Rinpoche was, uh, and this is the strange thing about reincarnations, and Pabonka Rinpoche is like an example of the strange things surrounding uh, uh, reincarnations. Like one person can be the reincarnation of three different beings, and three different beings can be said to be the reincarnation of one being. I have no idea how this works. Okay, so Pabonka Nipoche is supposed to be the reincarnation of the various uh, Changya Rinpoche, right? And Changya Rinpoche's uh, fame was that he was the he was an actual tutor to the emperor of China. And in Peking, in, uh, in China, there's an actual, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a, you know, his house is waiting for him, waiting for his reincarnation. So Pabonka Nipoche is supposed to be the reincarnation of Changya. And at that time, because of the not so good relationship that Tibet had with China, he was not recognized as such. But he was recognized instead as the reincarnation of somebody else. Okay. <laughs> I don't see how I can say that I've ever shown even the slightest trace of the good qualities that Changya Rope Doje used to have, his knowledge and his spiritual attainments. I will admit that I will admit though that I feel tremendous faith and admiration for this great man. And when I read his works, they are definitely easier for me to grasp than other scriptures. It is true that ever since I was young, I've had some strange attraction to the kind of Chinese sedan chair of which, in which Changa used to ride, and a tremendous uh, predilection for all things Chinese. This and, and the fact that you, mother, used to talk so much about how I was recognized as him have led me to wonder if I might not really be Changya. And I begin sometimes to identify myself with him. On occasion too, the thought comes to my mind that I have been other people as well, in other times, during the days when our great and gentle protector Tsongkhapa lived... Okay, this is going to be the uh, uh, strange thing, okay? On, I'm going to start again. On occasion, too, the thought comes to my mind that I have been other people as well in other times. During the days when our great and gentle protector Tsongkhapa lived on this earth, I was, I sometimes think, that friar from Tako, Naongkapa. Here, Pabong Karimboche is saying that he was Naongkapa, 
Sakowombo. So the person who's supposed to be the reincarnation of Pabonka Rinpoche is now living in Nepal. And the person who's supposed to be the reincarnation of Sakowombo is now living in India. Remember? Pabonka Rinpoche said, oh, I'm the, I'm, I'm the reincarnation of Sakowombo. But somehow, there is now, a pre there is now and, and this Pabonka Rinpoche who's talking right now is the one who passed away. And his reincarnation is living in Nepal. But the reincarnation of Sakowombo is living in India right now. So somehow, Pabonka Rinpoche got a split, uh, multiple personality, and each personality took a different reincarnation. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so because of this revelation, the author of Pabonka Rinpoche's biography relates sometimes something of the life of Ngaung Kakpa. We see one scene in the painting of Lord Tsongkhapa's life where he is teaching a group of four monks at a temple named Keru. And in the description of the great uh, Jamyang Sheba, we read that the master is imparting lessons on the topics of the perfection of wisdom, logic, and middle way to Ngawan Trakpa and his classmates. This seems to be just after Lord Tsongkhapa's ordination, and well before the first contact with, the, with his three more famous disciples, Gyasap J, Kedub J, and the first Dalai Lama. Um, Pabongka Rinpoche's biographer concurs and quotes a secret biography of the effect that Ngawan Trakpa belonged to a group of the master's pupil named the original four. Previous, uh, oh, I, I, previous to his, to his period of seclusion, Naung Drakpa is here said to have been born into the line of the kings of Tsako, to the far east of Tibet in Galmorong. This is another name for Galmorong which is also the very house at Sarame College where the child Pabonka was placed at the, on the sage's advice. Uh, well, well, this is the last page, okay? Let's see if we can do it in five minutes. <laughs> okay. We read that Ngaon Trakpa, the, the, that uh, Ngaon Trakpa, like Lord Tsongkhapa himself, traveled to central Tibet in search of further instruction, became adept in both the open and secret teachings, met and learned from the master, and accompanied him on a journey to the Tsel Monastery in Kishu, a district in East Tibet. After their return to Lhasa, the capital, he undertook various spiritual practices. One well-known story about Ngaung Drakpa says that around this time, he and his teacher agreed to take special notice of their dreams during the coming night. And this is something I want, to do, I want you to pay attention to. One well-known story about Ngawang Jagpa says that around this time he and his teacher agreed to take special notice of their dreams during this coming night. And, you, and sometimes you will uh, uh, hear from Tibetan teachers as they, as they are teaching they will tell you dreams are nothing important about dreams. And yet, here you're reading 
that they are paying, paying special attention to their dreams. Okay, so uh, I guess the, the end result is um, that we're supposed to understand is that sometimes dreams are important and sometimes dreams are not. <laughs> okay. Gaon dreamt that he gazed to the sky and saw two great white conch shells, the kind we hollow out into bed and use as horns in our religious ceremonies. The shells descended into the lap of his robes and suddenly merged into one. Now Ndrakpa saw himself taking up the conch horn and blowing it. The sound that came out was deafening and spread to an inconceivable distance. Lord Tsongkhapa interpreted the dream for his student, saying that it foretold that Ndrakpa himself would spread the Buddha's teachings in this faraway home of Garong. This, in fact, he did. For he credited with, for he is credited with founding over 100 monasteries in eastern Tibet. And of course, there's some sort of legend about how these hundred and so forth and so-called monasteries sort of like miraculously appeared. That that's a story, of course, told to little kids. I say. <laughs> Babon Karimbuche's biography also speaks of the close relationship between this particular disciple and Lord Tsongkhapa. In the final lines of the three principal paths, this is very, very touching. Uh, the master calls him my son, showing a personal affection, not very typical of the great scholar. He also seemed especially willing to satisfy Ngaon Dragpa's petition for teaching in the scene at Kiru's temple, we see some of the monks in a pleading gesture before the master. And it is said that he composed this account of the famous Bodhisattva ever weeping at Ngaong Drapa's personal request. As final evidence of their deep bond, our biographer quotes from a letter that the Lord Tsongkhapa sent his student from the context the entire message is still extant. We know that Ngaon Dakwa has already taken the long journey back to Gaoong and is making tremendous effort to teach the people there. In these few beautiful lines, the master implores his disciple to follow his private instructions. He urges him to act and pray in all his lives. And as his, uh, as his teacher does. And he invites Gaung Drakpa to meet him again at the end in Enlightenment, where he promises to offer his favored student the first sip of their cup of immortality. Isn't that cute? <laughs> Isn't that the cutest thing? Now you have to understand also that uh, so Ngaong Drakpa was part of the original four disciples that surrounded Jesongkapa, that followed Jesongkapa, that you know went around and teaching tours with him, and all of a sudden uh, after this uh, a dream, uh, Jesongkapa interpreted for him and said, "You have to go back home and and bring the Dharma there." And when he said go back home, you know, back there was no there were no cars back then, and Tibetans uh, didn't necessarily 
Uh, I mean, there were parts of Tibet where they had horses and stuff, but not every Tibetan necessarily had a horse to travel. Travel was done by foot. And imagine walk, walking from here to New Jersey on foot. Okay? It would take some time to get there. And he wasn't going like as far as New Jersey. He was going much further than that. So it, it would take you know, uh, a very long time for him to finally get there and finally get there to finally uh, do uh, his work. When he's finished, it will, be, it, will be, uh, it will be very difficult for him to go back and, 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 meet, uh, and see, meet Jason Kappa again. So uh, you could say when he was asked to go back home, he knew he would never see Jason Kappa again. So they kept uh, somewhat of a, uh, they, they kept their, their connection by, by writing letters to each other. And Jason Kappa sort of like uh, telling him, you know, I didn't banish you, you know, things that, sort of like that, to make him to sort of reassure him that he, you know, he's still in his heart. And that's why he wrote uh, this very beautiful thing about saying, uh, at the end in enlightenment, he promised him that he will give him the first the first sip of the cup of immortality. Okay, I'm now you're very happy because we finally reached the end of the uh, prologue, the forward, that is. The ending of our own story is not a happy one. We are refugees from Tibet, driven out from our Shangri-La by the Chinese armies. The halls of Gyalwang House, where Pabong Karibuche gained his knowledge and I played my tricks on Yeshe Lopsang, have been bombed out and burned. The Rinpoche's mountain hermitage, Tashi Chiling, stands like some strange skeleton. Only the front wall of, of stone remained erect, for all the rest was ripped down by the Chinese for firewood. The monk's cell at the mouth of his wonderful meditation cave, Takden, was smashed to rubble, which so fills the opening... <coughs> which so fills the opening that no one can even find it now. As Buddhists, we Tibetans do not feel anger at the Chinese, only a deep sadness at the loss of our country and traditions and the deaths of over a million of our friends and relatives. In a way, we have become more aware of how precious and short life is and how we should practice religion while we are still alive to do so. Our loss too is perhaps the greater world's gain as teachings like the one you are about to read now reach the outer world for the first time. I pray that this little book will help, all, will help us all to defeat our real enemies, the emotions of like and disliking and ignorance within our own minds. Okay, and uh, here's the signature. Sera Serme Geshe Lopsantachin, that was his name. Freewood Acres, New Jersey. All right, so we reached the end of the... Now we'll get on get into the actual book itself. Okay. Anything here? Anybody wanted to ask about? Any questions about the forward? So in a way, he gave you a... 
Remember, uh, what is a, a scholastic monastery? A scholastic monastery, in, in a sense, is like when you go to a, a, a medical school. What is the aim of going to medical school? You, yeah, to study, and at the end of it, you you practice you, you practice medicine. You you learn how to heal people. So in a monastery, what you learn, the, the, the studies that you that you are doing. You are studying how to become a Buddha, how to become a fully enlightened being. And what's the purpose of a Buddha? What is the purpose of a Buddha? Is to be able to go out throughout the universe and help every being everywhere, help them reach enlightenment, help them uh, free them of their temporary suffering and their ultimate sufferings. So you are given the for what the Gelupa is considered to have to work for them the list of the, the curriculum that they follow to become enlightened themselves. And I also there were some words of, uh, there was an encouraging story in there how the very person that I mentioned who even at a later age was able to recite text that he memorized, was in the beginning somebody nobody thought would ever become a geshe. He was a goof-off. The, the thing that he liked to do when he, when he was early, the early ages uh, age in the monastery was to play tricks on people. You know, sort of throw spitballs at, this, at, <laughs> at people, uh, m- making people laugh. That, 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 was, that was his idea. That was his... Uh, uh, his and he changed his path, and he became a great Lamba Geshe. He became the, the 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 abbot of that monastery. And um, you could say he was he was uh, he became a candidate to become not only the the abbot of that mon- that, that that of of that one of the one of the great monasteries of the Gelupas, but also became a, a, a candidate to become the leader of the Gelupas. He was a goof-off. An actual candidate to become the leader of, that, of, the, of the whole Gelupa gang. <laughs> I guess you could say he had the makings of it because he was the leader of somewhat of a little gang back then. <laughs> yes? Yeah. How does that, so each side represents certain, certain events? Is that how that relates? Oh, because of this dream that, that became that? Uh, well, the dreams was, uh, uh, when dreams have importance, they're not like a, a prediction. They're more like a revealing what's potential to happen. So, Tsakuombo had within him the potentials to spread Buddhism. And, 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 he, and he had a, a specific connection from the place, uh, with the place that he came from. And because of his connection there, 
if and because of his uh, potential, when he brings the the uh, Buddhism there, it will be received, and uh, people would would accept it. So the dream sort of uh, uh, almost as if uh, reminded him of, of that potential. It wasn't so much that the dream made it happen. Uh, it's almost. Uh, Dreams like that are more of a, of a mm, I would say more of a reminder of, of potential that 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 are hidden that are not necessarily obvious to the person. Yeah. And then if they if they if they follow the the message of the dream, then this is the thing that they can realize. It's not so much that the dream in, the dream empowered him to do it. So in a situation like that, is the the dream a creation of his the dreamer's mind? Or yeah. is it, so it's his mind his own mind creates that and tells him what his potential is. Where does that come from? Um, I, I, the creation has to has to be uh, the time of the time has to, you have to we have to stretch the time. Yes, his own mind created the potential for him to do it. Yes, his mind sort of it's like a when you look at a regular unimportant dream, your mind creates the dream, it creates the content, but it, it gets it from the potential that you already have for for those uh, for that particular dream. So from the from his own potential to teach that he that he has he has gained, so his own mind sort of like uh, reminded him. But dreams like that are not uh, are not that uh, they're not that easy to to explain. They're not they're not that simple. It could be you definitely there is a participation of his mind, but the instigator of that dream could have been something outside of his mind. Because he has the potential, because he has the ability to to go to his own home, because there's that connection, and it, that potential is with his own mind. An outside being could have put that dream in there. Yeah. Well, sometimes when you have a when you have a, a strange dream that seems very important, uh, it could be coming from your own mind. It could also it could also be uh, uh, put there <laughs> by by some uh, outside agent with your mind's participation. Or it could have been uh, what you might call, uh, instead of it just being, uh, hmm, how do I put this one? Uh, instead of using materials from your own mind to give you the message, you could have been taken to a place where you experience the place as a dream. Oh. <laughs>
That's why I was afraid to say that. <laughs> well, not just that last piece, but mm. about the other beings putting it there. Yeah. No. Uh, the pudding could be uh, could happen just like your own mind has the potential to create dreams. So another being mastering that ability with their own mind, <laughs> mastering that ability with their own mind, could also manipulate those things within someone else's mind and create a dream in someone else's mind. But for that being to create, to manipulate your own mind that way, they must have a, a connection with you. And then you yourself must, with that connection, give permission. And the permission, unfortunately, doesn't have to be, is not always, it's not always a conscious. It's not like somebody, you feel a being coming to you and say, okay, I'm going to create a dream. You say, oh, all right, let me see. All right, okay, do it. And then, and then, and then it happens. The, the, uh, the participation could be completely unconscious from your part. That, that could, could be it. Or they could actually, uh, this is going to sound, this is, gonna, this is a bit, uh, uh, well, never mind. <laughs> uh, you have, a, apart from this physical body, you also have a, a, a copy of it that, that you have with you and it's, it's a more subtle form. And it's, people give it different names. Some people even call it the dream body. So a being could, uh, uh, how do you say this? Uh, take you with your dream body to a different place. And since you're having this experience with that dream body, for you, it, 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 it is experienced as a dream. But you're actually taken to, the way we understand the dream, like you're, you're, mind, you're in your mind and your mind is creating pictures. But in that situation, you're actually taken to a place. But you're taken to that place in what, in, in what you might call your dream body. Okay. Yeah. Time for one more question. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm new here, so I don't know if I'm using the right language or what, but mm. are these beings always beings of light, or, I mean... Uh, um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> you open the box, I think. Yeah, yeah. I was, yeah. <laughs> Since I opened the box... <laughs> uh, not all the time. Okay. Yeah. We make connections with all kinds of beings. Is that some are beings of light and some are beings of, I guess for lack of a better word, beings of darkness. Mm -hmm. And by beings of darkness, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a, you know, the universe is split into beings who are the size of light, the side of darkness, and then the side of darkness wants to take over the universe and side of light. It's not that that sense, but... Uh, could be somebody named, somebody Mary, somebody named Mary that you have harmed in the past, and the way you've connected with, with them is that comically you owe them you owe them something, and the way they take that they make the way they make you pay is to harm you. So that would be like referring to like a being of darkness, 
someone whose aim is to harm you. And Mary, back then, may have now become some sort of a... Boy, that box is going to be opened further. <laughs> a demon, lack of a better word. Yeah. But, but you know, someone who harms you. Okay. And they may harm you in different ways. And of course, there are beings of light. And uh, because I said, said that, I have to say this. <laughs> because I opened the box now, I cannot just close it without saying this. Uh, oh, 7 o'clock. You can always wake up. <laughs> You have the power to always wake up, uh, and it's always, uh, 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 it's always, you always, always remember that you always, you are whatever is happening, you are participating, and you can choose not to participate. If a being of light comes to you and of, is about to offer you enlightenment, you can participate and take the enlightenment, or you can participate and not take it. So in the same, uh, the opposite also happens. The same thing with the opposite. You were gonna. Was that? Was that it? Oh no, I was just concerned. Okay. About that. <laughs> yeah. Um, take it. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's uh, do the closing. Okay. Thank you. 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 Page uh, 16. Begyajun shemadotan Riravling shenyendergen bandi the English. <laughs> Here is a ground anointed with incense and flowers strewn with its mouth mirror adorned by four continents, sun and moon, visualized as a Buddha field, I offer it to the merit field. May all beings partake of a supremely pure Buddha field. Now, idam guru ratnamantalakam niryatayami. Page 26. Kyoa <laughs> 
By this virtue, may all beings perfect the accumulations of merit and wisdom and achieve the two holy bodies that arise from merit and wisdom. So we take a break for 15-20 minutes and we come back for meditation. Those who want to come back for meditation.